This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We'd like to start out today's show with a bit of rather shameless self-promotion. We ended last week's program noting that, uh, as they do every year, the good folks over at the Sacramento News and Review are polling the local populace, the greater Sacramento metropolitan area, which of course includes Davis and the Foothills, in an effort to determine what earns the annual Best of Award in various categories. One of those categories this year is Best Radio Program, or actually literally Best Radio Show. And I noted to my amusement uh, that uh, an email sent out by the News and Review to various media outlets encouraged people to encourage their people to vote for them. And with such an invitation laid out, as it were, on a silver platter, we decided to run with it. So, dear listener, please do us all a favor and vote. Now, they apparently don't want to make it too easy for you, <laughs> but... Uh, According to someone that sent us an email, you have to go to www.newsreview.com slash Sacramento slash ballot. And I guess if you still have patience, you can put in slash best of sac 09. But I think if you get to newsreview.com slash Sacramento slash ballot, it ought to come up. We want you to do this to send a message. It's a tough, uh, tough uh, situation out in the radio world right now. There's contractions going on everywhere. There's a lot of popular radio shows that have been lost. And everywhere you go, it seems, what stations are doing is relying upon national programming to uh, fill up their airtime. Even popular figures such as Phil Cowan find themselves without a radio pro show at the moment. And uh, some of what's left, well, you know, Rob, Arnie, and Don, which we refer to as Mo, Larry, and Curly in the Morning... That's uh, the sort of stuff that's still around, and being that it is on every day for several hours and, you know, gets a fairly good audience, it tends to place every year in the best of Sacramento. Now, we don't think that's really representative of what news and review readers uh, really want to listen to. When, when people like Tom Sullivan win best local uh, radio voice, we know that, you know, it has to just be the fact that their name is out there and that they're just heard on a big platform. So our mission is to be David to KFBK's Goliath and see if we can't proceed, you know, with the quality that we strive to bring you every week uh, and, and see if we can't, you know, win the battle by being intelligent and being well-informed and, I guess, above all else, knowing what the hell we're talking about. We firmly believe that if we get recognition, even an honorable mention— this will uh, cause, you know, perhaps some eyebrows to raise and realize that there still is a market out there for radio that treats you, the listener, like you have a brain. Like you'd want to be kept informed of events going on in the world, and you'd like to hear a reasoned analysis, even if you might not necessarily agree with it. God knows, we certainly don't expect everyone listening to agree to the things that are put out on this program, but uh, we think you'll respect us for the fact that we, we, you know, value your intelligence and don't pander to the lowest common denominator, okay? Enough said. So anyway, if you're, if you're so inclined to vote in things like this, and we would, in, we would encourage you to, to be so inclined, well, by all means, uh, exercise your freedom of choice. 
And anyway, if Rob, Arnie, and Don win this year, we may hang up our spikes. We, we may just give up. Same goes for Tom Sullivan. If Tom Sullivan wins this year as the best uh, local radio show, we may quit. So there it is. It's your responsibility. Keep us on the air. All right, that's enough of that. In our second segment today, we're going to revisit our chat, uh, part two of our chat with Whitney Lehman, talking about the movie Food, Inc., an important film that I think everyone should see. I did note in, in, in the book version of Food, Inc., there's an excellent chapter by Peter Pringle, who was on this program last year talking about the marvelous book, The Assassination of Nikolai Vavilov. Uh, Peter Pringle is very interested in uh, genetically modified organisms and matters of biodiversity and seeds and the like, and we're looking forward to bringing him back on this program, which we uh, hopefully will do in the months to come. We also hope to hear from our bicycling correspondent, Mr. Paul Dorn. But let us begin the show, as we like to do, with On This Date in History, because history is important. Those who do not know their history are condemned to repeat it, as George Santayana once said. Of course, the problem with that is, even if you do know history, you still may be condemned to repeat it. Our date in question today is August the 13th. It was on this date in 1624 in France that Cardinal Richelieu was named as first chief minister of finance by King Louis the 13th. Richelieu was quite an interesting figure. We'll have to talk about him one day. On this date in 1642, Dutch mathematician and physicist Christian Huygens discovered the Martian South Polar Cap. And with all due credit to his mathematical skills, he did that by looking through a telescope. This date in 1912, St. Joseph's College in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, was granted the first experimental radio license. And although it didn't happen on this exact date, it was on August 14, 1385, that at the Battle of Aljubarota, Portuguese forces stopped an invasion by John I of Castile, thus securing independence for Portugal. The Portuguese, are, of course, are a plucky and highly underrated people who have demonstrated themselves throughout history to be admirable in, in almost every way. Aren't you Portuguese? Uh, yes I am. This in no way influences my opinion. Our quote of the day comes from the famous psychiatrist Carl Jung, who once said, Show me a sane man, and I will cure him for you. Our quote of the day comes from a man named Alan Bennett, as quoted in the book Oxymoronica, who said, we started off trying to set up a small anarchist community, but people wouldn't obey the rules. And our joke of the day has a description of a fancy restaurant, uh, as described by Bill Bryson from the book, Not So Funny When It Happened, edited by Tim Cahill. Anyway, Mr. Bryson noted that he goes into the restaurant, and here's the following. Tonight, we have a crepe galette of sea chortle and kelp, rich in mar de mer sauce, seasoned with disheveled herbs grown in our own herbarium. This is baked in an inverted Prussian helmet for 17 minutes, then layered with steamed wattle and woozle leaves. Very delicious. Very audacious. And I have to admit, when the guy comes over and says, Hi, I'm Clay. I'll be your server tonight. I don't need to get that familiar with Clay. I mean, you could be Smedley. I don't care. Our stat of the day, actually we have two stats of the day. The first one is as follows. According to the Associated Press, when troops from Great Britain and Australia pulled out of Iraq a couple weeks back, the War Coalition, which at one point allegedly involved soldiers from 38 countries, was reduced to one, those of the United States of America. 
A happier statistic comes from the Virginia Institute of Marine Science, which noted that after decades of overharvesting, oysters are returning to Chesapeake Bay. Experimental reefs they created five years ago are now home to more than 185 million native oysters. Hey, what do you say we do that in San Francisco Bay? Which reminds me, we were going to bring over, we were going to bring on a UC Davis scientist who uh, was talking about oysters making a comeback in San Francisco Bay. We're going to have to go find him. So the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for perfection, after China released a list of 100 health requirements for would-be taikonauts. And by the way, I don't know what we're going to do with the fact that if you're Russian, you're a cosmonaut, if you're American, you're an astronaut, and if you're Chinese, you're a taikonaut. But according to the authorities, candidates for future Chinese space missions must have no scars, cavities, runny noses, or bad breath. Said health official Xi Bingbing, and I guess that's, 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 that's the person's name. The bad smell would affect their fellow colleagues in a narrow space. And by God, I believe it would. On the other hand, it was a bad week. Last week for the birthers, who published an online, quote, Kenyan, unquote, birth certificate for Barack Obama. Unfortunately, the document contains some rather obvious signs of forgery, including the fact that it was stamped Republic of Kenya, despite the fact that the country with that name did not exist when Barack Obama was born. And finally, a few weeks back, it was uh, an ugly week for Mickey Mayen, a neo-Nazi and alleged Ku Klux Klan member. Mr. Mayen, who's from Pennsylvania and was on the FBI's most wanted list, was arrested, oddly enough, in Tel Aviv. Said an Israeli official, he was here because he thought that was the last place they would look for him. And as far as we know, Mr. Mayen had no success in recruiting more membership to the Ku Klux Klan while in Israel. How about this from the Only in America file, also courtesy of the Week magazine. Apparently a Seattle bank fired a teller for foiling an attempted robbery. According to the story, Jim Nicholson, age 30, was at his post at Key Bank when a man demanded he fill a backpack with cash. Nicholson lunged at the man, chased him down the street, and tackled him, holding him until police arrived. The bank then fired him, saying that employees were required to cooperate with robbers. Well, I guess we know where all those out-of-work SEC employees went after they were fired. They're working in Seattle banks now. Said Nicholson, they tell us we're just supposed to comply, but my instincts kicked in. I'm an adrenaline junkie person. It's probably also a lucky he wasn't shot up with lead person. Hey, speaking of banks, did we mention this little statistic from last month? The FDIC shuttered seven banks in the middle of July, which brought the total of failed banks in 2009 to 52, which compares rather unfavorably with 25 for all of last year. All right, for our Jackass of the Week feature, we have some, uh, some hot competition this week all of whom, oddly enough, appear to be right-wing crank media personalities. Candidate number one is Mr. Bill O'Reilly. On last week's 
Parade magazine section, Bill O'Reilly authored a piece titled, What President Obama Can Teach America's Kids. And, of course, it was the usual, you know, if Barack Obama can become president of the U.S., then whatever dream you may have can happen in your life. It's touching to note that uh, Bill O'Reilly's inspired by President Obama, but I find it rather odd that he's taking credit for this laudatory piece since he spends most of his time all day long running down the president. It should be noted, though, that the response from viewers, or at least readers, was apparently overwhelming. And I might add overwhelmingly positive, at least as so reported on the Bill O'Reilly television program. Our second candidate is Radio Creepo, Michael Savage, whose real name is Michael Weiner, or, or is it Weiner? They're both so incredibly appropriate, one wonders why he would change. But no matter what he started out with, he's now Michael Savage, and according to the piece in The New Yorker, 21 hours a day, he lives in misery. Three hours a day, he's happy. Those are the three hours in which he's in front of a microphone, ranting. Where when he talks about global warming, which of course he calls global bull. And by the way, did you know he wrote books on quack medicine? I did not. But I did find the piece in The New Yorker rather sappy, and it just sort of illustrated what an unhappy and miserable human being he really is. But then we knew that on this program, because when we talked to Michael Krasny a couple years back, uh, we talked about a little anecdote where the two men, both of whom were on the same radio station, were both attending their children's graduation from elementary school. Krasny was asked to give an inspirational talk. Savage was not. So from the back row, he heckled Michael Krasny at his daughter's own graduation. He also did his best to start a whispering campaign about Krasny while he was at the radio station in an effort to get him out and take his spot. Nice guy, Michael Savage. But third in our list is Tom Sullivan. As we've said in this show in the past, if any of you out there suffer from insomnia, one possible cure is to tape some of the Tom Sullivan programs and when you go to bed, play them. If that doesn't put you to sleep, you may need professional help. The reason we're mentioning Sullivan this week is that while listening to his show a few weeks back, a caller was running down Walter Cronkite, saying that he should have been convicted for either treason or at least aiding and abetting the enemy by having a negative viewpoint about the Vietnam War. Now, true, it was the caller that was making this uh, outrageous assertion, but Tom Sullivan just took it and went on with it. Had nothing to say by way of correction or course alteration leaving it hanging out there in the, in the airwaves that, yeah, you know, Cronkite probably did deserve to be prosecuted. So there's the choice. Bill O'Reilly, Michael Savage, or Tom Sullivan. It's close, but being that Sullivan did not actually agree with the caller specifically, we're going to have to award it to Michael Savage. Yeah. All right, speaking of right-wing radio jackasses, Actually, hold that thought. Let me go to a letter, appeared in the Sacramento Bee, from Gary Johnson, which noted that protesters at town hall meetings, which are yelling, screaming, and stomping their feet like two-year-olds, are demanding their way or no way. This is all in the name of insurance companies. In 2000, the same people with the same tactic in Florida screamed, stop the vote count. They did it then, and they will do it again. Then they will declare, it's the voice of the people. Unless you answer back, they'll declare victory in your name. 
So I'm sure you've heard about this by now, dear listeners. All across the country, they're holding, quote, town meetings, unquote, which are, which are a joke. But in every one of these things, people are showing up yelling and screaming and demanding that we keep the half-assed health system that we have just the way it is. So we think Gary Johnson is definitely on to something. This is what's called astroturfing. As you recall, back in election 2000, quote, protesters, unquote, showed up at the Miami-Dade County election offices to demand that the recount be stopped. Well, it turned out these people, oddly enough, did not live in Miami-Dade County. In fact, they were flown in from all over the United States. They were Republican congressional aides and operatives who have now been identified in photographs of the event. By the way, one of the people that was protesting included Doro Bush, sister of Jeb and W. So the dry run for this uh, resurgence of this technique was the teabaggers uh, revolt of a few months back. Because they're also now claiming that, you know, one of the plans of Obama's health plan, euthanasia. <laughs> causing the White House to open up a website to point out, no, no, that's, that's not one of the things we're planning to do. By the way, I love the, uh, the headline of the Kathleen Parker editorial that was in the Sacramento Bee, noting, protesters might be orchestrated, but the anxiety is real. Well, yeah, there is a big difference between anxiety and organized fake protest. And the main anxiety in this whole deal probably is that of the insurance company, which is hiring the public relations firms to send out these people to act out and act up and stomp their feet. But I'm listening to National Public Radio yesterday morning, and they're talking about all these protests, and they're, you know, they're just mentioning as if they're taking place spontaneously. And I think to myself, I bet if I reach down and punch the button from FM to Clear Channel, I'm going to have an explanation for why there's all these protests. So I reach down, punch the button, and right on cue is the babbling voice of Rush Limbaugh explaining why we all have to have these concerns and anxieties about what Obama wants to do to health care. We will continue to talk about this, but uh, before we go, we should note that it isn't just health care that's involved in this. Last month, they busted a Washington, D.C. lobbying firm, which had to admit it had sent out forged letters aimed at ginning up opposition to climate change legislation. Apparently, numerous lawmakers received letters that purported to be from the NAACP and also a Latino lobbying group. They urged opposition to a climate change bill, quote, to protect minorities, unquote. Presumably, the minorities to be protected did not include the Inupiaq up in Northwest Territories. But of course, it turned out the phony letters actually came from Bonner and Associates, whose clients include the coal industry. For its part, Bonner blamed the episode on a temporary employee who it says has been fired. You know, it's just those bad apples that cause all the trouble. Anyway, speaking of Washington, D.C., we're proud to report that America's foremost political comic is back from his holiday over the summer. So let's, uh, let's bring back Mr. Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I'm here to say if you've ever been in Washington, D.C. in August, you can understand why the federal government releases all the delinquents back into their home communities and calls it recess. D.C. was built on a swamp, and walking around the Capitol this month is like slogging through a sauna while wearing a grease-lined jogging suit made out of yak hair. And as recent events demonstrate, it's not only going to be a hot August, 
It's going to be a loud one. The crackling flames of rhetorical fires are echoing out of town halls all over this great land. Hot, loud, and ugly. Because as we all know, louder is writer, and writer is louder, and loudest is rightest. The saying is, youth is wasted on the young. I can only add that democracy may be wasted on the dim. The Democrats refer to the health care reform protesters as angry mobs, while the GOP maintains they're just nervous voters. The problem is, both sides have a point. Some of these nervous mobs consist of conspiracy theorists, convinced that the Kenyan-born president wants to destroy our country something the liberals never accused Bush of, even while he was trying to. On the other hand, even stone-crazed loonies have reason to worry about their health care. Most of us are afraid of our own doctors, for crumb's sake. Now the plan is to throw a thousand pages of bureaucratic fixes into the mix? You can understand why people are quivering like beads of water dancing across a pancake grill. Then stir in members of Congress, churning those stove burners all the way up the surface of the sun settings, claiming that Obama's plan has provisions to kill the elderly, and you might end up frightening a few folk, especially elderly folk. Don't forget, the biggest pre-existing condition in this country is fear of getting old, along with the even scarier alternative. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Well, what can I say? Great minds think alike, don't they? But he said it in fewer words than I did, so we got to give him credit. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Let's come back and resume our talk about a movie that a lot of people need to see, Food, Inc. Food, Inc. 